Hi, man. Hey, guys. Welcome back to an episode of the Ignant Podcast. Uh, you have Mark Ansh. Christopher, the curator. It's about your colleagues once you live on the mic. And we have a special guest today. He's a real estate investor, real estate agent, financial advisor, and mm-hmm. a music producer, Paul Bleck. Thank you for joining us today, man. We're going to have a great conversation today about real estate. All right, what's going on, guys? Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's just jump right into the conversation. So the first question, just to get the ball rolling, what's the best introductory rental property to get into, and why do you think so? Um, so in my opinion, uh, first thing, whenever you're talking about real estate, it really always varies from person to person. It's it, everything. It can be different. Some people will find like flipping would be better than renting. And, you know, it always, it's really up to your circumstance and your opinion, whichever way. Um, so in my opinion, when you're doing, when you're talking about rental properties and getting a rental properties, I always think you're better off looking for a multifamily. Um, only because off the strength, multifamily gives you a little bit more to work with. You have multiple units that you can go and look for and get rental income from. Whereas if you just had a single family property, you're only getting one unit, one door that's giving you that rent. So when that one unit is vacant, you're not making any money from that rental property. Mm-hmm. So it's always better to do multifamilies, in my opinion, in my opinion. When you're talking about just strictly renting, that's it. I, I say multifamily is the best way to go. How would you say like managing managing that was is I was watching a couple YouTube videos the other day and he was suggesting like a single family home and mostly because like it's a stability and most of the times you get like a family with a kid, a husband and a wife, and they come in, they usually they will stay for a while because you know they didn't want to have to secure family growth and lifestyle, whatever. So how do you think like if you don't go to that and go to like a multifamily home, like how do you manage all those different homes? I mean, it definitely depends on the area that you're doing. Um, you're, you own that rental property because some places, yeah, it would be great to have a single family because a family will come in, not worry about having to buy a house. They'll just, you know, they, they just pay their rent. They don't have to worry about fixing anything, any problems. Um, and they're usually long-term tenants, but other areas, it's not the case. Like people are usually looking for a little bit more short-term rentals. There's usually a much higher turnaround. Like I can give you an example. We're all in New York right now. Um, areas like Brooklyn, the Bronx. Yeah, sure. They have people that come in and stay long-term, but a lot of the people there, they're usually looking to just stay one, two years, three years. Um, whereas some places in Queens, you'll find people more likely staying like seven, eight years in a single family house. So it it really you really can't put a broad answer on that. Like it's really contingent on where you are in yourself as the investor, what you're looking to do. Also, multifamilies it's it's more expensive to get into. It's it takes a little bit more money. Um, I can tell you off off of experience in New York alone to get into a multifamily, you're looking at at least seven hundred, seven fifty, and that's like the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. So just let's say if we walk through that with closing costs and everything, like how much would you expect to put down on something like that if you have decent credit? So you're interested. Um, Well, it depends on the type of loan that you get. But if you were putting down on a $700,000 house and you weren't planning to live there, you have to put down at least 5%. 
If you are planning to live there or willing to live there for at least a year, then it's 3.5% of whatever the purchase price is, which is around um, 18,000. So around 18 to 25,000. But also you got to keep in mind, like you're including, well, that's just putting down the down payment to get the property. You mm-hmm. got to include their closing costs is something separate from that. So closing okay. costs on top of your down payment is like another 10 grand. And then any repairs that the property may need to make it, uh, you know, make it a desirable unit, you know, that's, that can be an also another five grand to 10 grand, depending on the, co- the condition of the property. So really it's, I would say around 50 grand, 50 to $60,000 liquid that you'd be able to go in to really start looking to invest in a rental property in New York. Um, other, other states is not like that at all. You can start with like $10,000 in other states and be comfortable, get, get a, get a nice property for like a hundred, 150,000, which gives you a decent cash flow. You're talking about places like down South or like, like Atlanta Um, Texas type of places well Texas is a little bit you know Texas is is on the up and up right now Texas is actually getting pretty close to New York numbers it's like halfway up there right now like you're looking at like 250 300 350,000 in Texas on the low end but middle end is like 600,000 so Texas isn't the best place even Atlanta too is starting to come up Um, I would suggest like if you were looking for somewhere with you know which easier barrier of entry like Cleveland, Ohio is, is, is on the come up right now. Like you can get a multifamily for like a hundred thousand in Cleveland, like a three, four family. Um, let me see. Uh, pencil in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is on the come up, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Those are just some States, some cities that are on the come up right now that you can go and find a good, decent property for a good rate of return. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep, there, was yep. a, there was something you mentioned earlier about like um location I want to touch upon. Like what do you say is like the good advice just like what location you want to get your rental properties at? I see a lot of people like kind of that same thing investing where it's like uh buy low, sell high. So like how does that kind of translate to like the conversation like location and where to get that uh first rental property per se? Well, you know, you, you just said something. You said buy low, sell high, and then you mentioned rental property. Those are two, like, completely different things. So, like, there, there's really two primary ways that you do re- real estate investing, which is renting, which is what we were just talking about, and the other one, which was fix and flip. Um, fix and flip rentals, you'll, pl- you'll buy, like, a property that's distressed. You'll fix it, whatever work has to be done, bring it up to standard, and then you'll sell it. And then you keep that profit on top of it. So just an example, I can give you the numbers. I'm actually, I actually have a property right now that I'm dealing with. Um, the, the, I bought the property for around 76,000. The after repair value of the property is 220,000. For me to get it there, I had to put in around 70 to $80,000 to fix it up, but I'll be able to sell it for 200, 220,000 when it's done. So I should make around a $50,000 profit on the property. That's a fix and flip. Yeah. Whereas like renting, you know, you're really not doing that. Yeah. You can get your money right away with renting, even if you buy the property cash or whatever, but you can, with renting, you're more so looking for, um, cash flow in the, in the property and, (laughs) and, um, what's it called? And cash flow basically all it is, is, the difference between the mortgage and how much your rent is your mortgage and your expenses and the rent so like 
if your rent if you're bringing in two thousand dollars a month from rent and your mortgage is like fifteen hundred, your cash flow is five hundred. You're making five hundred dollars a month off that property on top of the equity in the property and everything. Wow. Yeah. You also mentioned credit score. What's like a decent score to or a realistic score? For someone to, uh, yeah, to realistic, I mean, or does it depend on you know different factors? I mean, the higher the credit score, the less the the um, the interest rate is gonna be. Like, so if you have an eight hundred credit score, your credit's immaculate, seven fifty, eight hundred, you're golden. You'll they'll give you the lowest interest that they can. But whereas if you have like a five eighty or six hundred, five eighty is the lowest credit score that you can have to qualify for a mortgage. Okay. Um. If you have that, you'll you're usually looking at a little bit slightly higher interest rate, and the interest rates change every couple of years. So I can't even give you a range. I can tell you right now. I think I believe the lowest interest rate, if it's not right now, then it was a couple months ago, was around two point five percent. Okay. Yeah, with with higher ones being like around three point seven four percent, and it sounds like it sounds like nothing, but it's a it, it's a big difference on your mortgage, your interest rate. Right. Because you, if you're thinking about it, yeah, you're looking at like interest rate five percent of five hundred thousand versus two and a half percent of five hundred thousand. It makes a difference. For mm-hmm. sure. That's like a couple hundred to a, to almost a thousand bucks extra on your mortgage every every right. month. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have enough money to even think about putting money down to get a rental property or maybe get my own home, like how else could I get involved in real estate? Um, they do have something that, that's called real estate investment trust. Uh, they're kind of like, have you guys heard of index funds with stocks? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, like, yeah, like similar, yeah or, or ETFs, things like that. It's similar to that. Real estate investment trust is basically, it's a company that owns a bunch of properties that people, other people invested in. So just an example, just to put it in simple terms. I'm the investor and you guys, you guys are giving me money to invest for you in real estate property. And then I break you off a, a you know, a percentage every year, a dividend, however we want to split it up. But that's pretty much what a real estate investment trust is. It's one major company that allows investments from other people so that they can invest and upkeep their properties. And then they give them an annual profit, usually or monthly, depending if it, it varies. So it's the principles are similar to like a hedge fund. Would, would you say? Yeah, yeah, to an extent. But I mean, and, you know, again, this is my opinion. Some people live and die with, with REITs. That's what they call them for sure, real estate investment trusts. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Me personally, I kind of stay against, stay away from them. Unless you wanted something as just like a long-term investment to just put your money in and leave it. I suggest, you know, the stock market. But you know they're 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 good too they're good just to know that you own a part of a property i think is you know it, some people they just they just want that they just like that mm-hmm. yeah the, i mean the average return on it is about five to seven percent annually historically for a real estate investment trust whereas like uh whereas like stocks is usually they say nine to ten percent so it it really for index funds for index funds particularly so it really varies Okay. Yeah, I will, I always suggest when it comes to do, using REITs, always do your research on that particular REIT. Um, I can give you one off my head, Fundrise. I'm not sponsored by them, but Fundrise is probably the cheapest REIT to get into because sometimes you need at least like a thousand, two thousand dollars to buy into a REIT. 
but fundrise is about five hundred dollars that's it and then you can you can get get a re but it's not a great return you know five hundred dollars every year you'll probably make a couple bucks it's not going to be anything crazy mm-hmm. but when you leave it in there like 30 years you're, you're golden <laughs> that's what it is it's a long-term investment next question there's between your mortgage equity and the cash flow all right so we kind of broke down cash flow for us earlier when you were saying yeah, yeah. i think we touched on it before I mean, I'll go over it again, no problem. So a mortgage, in the simplest term, a mortgage is just a fancy word for a loan. (laughs) Like the same way how you guys got school loans to go to school, a mortgage is the same thing. It's just a loan for your house. Um, It's, you know, they usually vary uh, to get approved for it. It's it's like a whole headache. It's, It's a long process. It's not something that's quick. It's not an easy thing to get a mortgage. It's probably one of the harder loans that you'll get in life. But if everything is good, all your paperwork is good, you're, you're making decent money, you'll be able to qualify for a mortgage. And they have other workarounds too. But, um, you know, you, typically with mortgages, you have to put down at least 3.5% or 5%. Um, 3.5% if you're doing what's called the FHA, FHA loan, which is just like a fair housing administration loan there's government backed loans that's why you can get away with putting down such a low amount or you can do a conventional loan which is a five percent loan and then there's also a third type of loan called the va loan for any veterans if anybody's like in the military or anything they qualify for a va loan where they typically don't have to put any money down oh wow yeah so that that you know i i'll be real with you i almost joined the military just to get access to that va loan (laughs) but because it's like a crazy opportunity to just not have to worry about putting down any money. You can you can include your, your closing costs into your loan a lot of the time wow. and not have to worry about it. So I could go and literally put down $0 and then go buy a property. But just keep in mind with VA loans and FHA loans, there's a limitation. Typically, you have to use that as your primary residence for at least a year before you can, you know, go and use it again for for another property so just be mindful of that um on top of that another thing with mortgages which you have to know if you put down under 20 percent of a mortgage so the suggested amount to put down on a mortgage is 20 percent. anything under 20 percent, they charge you what's called mortgage insurance on top of your mortgage payment which varies by place but in new york is typically like an extra thousand dollars on your mortgage if you put down under 20 percent um so it's always just be mindful of that if you are looking into investing and you know starting with mortgages just know those are three important things to know now equity uh equity is the amount that you owe that you own of your house so as you're paying down your mortgage your well after you give your down payment and as you're paying down your mortgage that's typically the amount of equity that you have in your house so the equity is the difference of how much your house is worth versus how much money you have in the loan so if your house is worth 700,000 and your mortgage your remaining mortgage balance is about 500,000 you have a $200,000 equity in your home hmm. And that, and then with equity, you can like go and refinance your mortgage and start over pretty much. Just know that you're starting over your mortgage when you get a refinance, but you can go and take out $200,000 cash. Or you can go and get a home equity line of credit and they'll give you a line of credit for like for up to 80% of whatever your house is worth. But you typically need a lower equity in your home. 
I mean, you need a lower mortgage, a lower, a lower principal, a lower mortgage amount in your home left and a higher amount of equity to get a home equity line of credit. Um, and then cash flow, we touched on cash flow is just the difference of, you know, with rent it with rental properties, the amount of money that you're, you're getting from rent and the difference of your expenses every month with your mortgage and um, utilities and all that stuff, all that good stuff. So I guess just to loop back um, back around to mortgage, I know now there's a lot of legislation going on. And I think recently there wasn't there like a bill that passed that for new home buyers, um, I think particularly their minority home buyers, they were given a grant of right around $10,000 to add to their closing costs or um, their down payment. Um, um, yes, that hasn't been put into effect yet. It did pass with the Senate, but it hasn't passed with the House of Representatives yet. Because whenever it comes to that, it's always like a little bit tricky because every state is different. Every state has different laws and, you know, stuff when it comes to buying a home. So typically that stuff is tricky, but they they are expecting to do that. That is something that they're that they're moving towards just to give people more of an opportunity to buy homes. And it's like they'll cover your your down payment for a certain amount and they'll cover your they'll cover some of your closing costs, but you still need to have a certain amount of money available to you that's liquid in your account for it to go through. You can't just have no money and, you know, they'll give you that $10,000 grant. You need to be making a certain amount. You have to fit into a certain qualification and you can't, excuse me, and you can't make more than a certain amount. Mm, Okay, I see. Yeah. So wait, Mm -hmm. so even if I have like money saved up like over years, stuff like that, if I have like no income per se at the time that I apply for like a, a property what you think i would be able to get it um it depends on how you made your money so like if you're uh if you're self-employed typically with a mortgage broker you're gonna need like your last two to three years tax report tax return whereas if you have like a regular job you're gonna need to usually typically you need to be at that job for at least a year and you need to be making depending on how much the house costs but i could tell you in new york you need to have at least eighty thousand like be making annually 80,000 to qualify for any type of home loan in New York. Now there's ways around that. It's not like locked in 80,000. It could be you and your spouse if you're married or you with somebody else, a co-signer making above a certain amount to qualify for a certain amount in a loan. Yeah, so it, 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 it varies from person to person, varies with the situation. In New York also, they have condos and co-ops. So typically sometimes you can be making 60, 70,000. You can qualify for one of those. And yeah, that's the thing with real estate. It really, it really varies from person to person at every time, every turn. That's why I don't want to give you guys like wrong information. Anything that I tell you, I, I, or I say, I expect you guys, you know, when you get the chance, just go look into it. Because okay. it's, it's really crazy. It's, it's, it's thing. And even the, the person that you might think has no chance to qualify for a mortgage is able to qualify. And sometimes the person that, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, nah, he's good. He should be fine. Isn't able to qualify for whatever reason. So it it, it really, like, depends on your situation. So question. Mm-hmm. If the Brothers of Ignan podcast decided one day that we wanted to buy a building, multifamily building, rent mm-hmm. it out, something of the sort, what do you think would be the best way to go about it? I would say figure out where exactly you'd want to first figure out how much you would want to spend on it and then go find the property 
Um, it, it and then well, not even figure out where, figure out how much those properties go in that area, and then save up whatever amount of money that you can to put down on it. So, like I said, try to save up twenty percent so that you don't have to worry about mortgage insurance. And also, usually, the more money you're putting down, the higher of a chance that you are to qualify for a loan. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so it would definitely be do your research. Like I said, if you guys were looking in uh looking in like Cleveland or something like that, where it's a lot easier to get into it's obviously you guys would only just need like 20,000 to hit that 20% to get like a two family over there. Whereas like New York, like, a, you know, you're looking at 700,000, 20% of that is about, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like around 60,000 for a down payment. I think that okay. sounds, that sound, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So you guys would need to have that liquid and then be able to cover your closing costs and everything on top of it, which, you know, which isn't always the worst thing only because you can include your closing costs into your mortgage. You can always add your closing costs to your mortgage. It just, if you have the extra, if they allow you, like if you have the extra space in your mortgage, like if you're, if you have a, if you're pre-approved on your mortgage for $700,000 and you're buying a house for six ninety five, dollars you probably won't be able to include your closing costs into it. But if you were buying a house for like six fifty, dollars then yeah, you'd be able to include your closing costs. I mean, I mean, you guys, have you guys like looked into real estate investing at all or anything like that or buying a house or anything? I'm not sure how far along you guys are. Well, I was actually, I was going to get to asking you later, but I might as well ask you now. I was looking, I was looking to like Airbnb hosting and stuff like that. Okay. Um, just because I feel like uh, right now I have a job, so I'm still like, you know, um, go back to school. So I get my income, but I'm trying to think of something I could do like right now with the money that I saved up. So I thought Airbnb mm. as, as like the, you know, something where I can make some money trying to rent out places and just post Airbnb. Well, Airbnb, I'll say this, you can get real creative with Airbnb. Um, sometimes, depending on the location, and if you can find the right landlord, you don't even have to worry about buying a property. So what some people do for Airbnbs is they go themselves rent out an apartment you need an approval from the landlord obviously you can't just go get a get an apartment and then just make it an airbnb no you get an approval from the landlord and the landlord has to agree with you in writing saying that they'll be okay with you subleasing and hosting and using it as an airbnb place and then you pay the landlord their rent and then you collect your money every month you know so so you don't necessarily need a lot of money to get into Airbnb hosting, but you obviously your profit return isn't as high. And then there's more of a liability because no matter what, you got to pay that rent to that landlord every month. So whether or not you have a good month or a bad month. So you, it, it, you know, you have to do a little bit more homework to figure out if it makes sense to do Airbnb investing. Right. Which, which if you were doing it in New York, you'd have to do it by like um, Jamaica, by, um, by JFK or by the airport or anything, because anything farther out is really shaky with Airbnbs. That's true. That makes sense. Yeah. So it is. It is a good investment. I actually met a kid. I met somebody. He was like 24 years old, and he was like killing it. And that's how he had started. So he had started, and he rented out somebody's apartment. And I think he told me like the first year he was he was he was struggling he was barely breaking even but there was a month that he, it just went crazy like a month in the summertime he made like three thousand dollars and the rent was like 1500 so after that he really like dived into it and everything but 
you know, it, it's thing. And he's still doing it. That's what he's still doing. He actually used that after like three, four years of doing that. He used it and he went and bought his own property and he fixed it up and made it a B&B. And now he doesn't worry about leasing other properties or anything. So it is there. The possibility is there. I do know it's a little bit harder now. And then the laws might have changed with B&B. Like they might have changed their rules. So they might not even be doing that anymore. So I would look into it. Definitely. I always say, but you know. I know, I know like 2015, 2016, people were doing that. Yeah. My next point is basically the next question on like mm-hmm. leaning properties. I've been like okay. trying to educate myself on it, but like I still don't know too, too much. Okay. So there's no, it's not a lean property. There's no property that's lean. A lean is something is like a claim that an individual or a bank or an entity or something puts on a property. So for example, a mortgage is a lien. Until your mortgage is paid off, you don't actually own your house, which is sick. I know you're putting down like 50, 60,000, but until that mortgage is paid off, you don't own your house. Um, if you ever go and you're missing your mortgage payment, what happened? What do you, what happens? You guys know what happens if you don't pay your mortgage to the bank? Foreclosure. Exactly. The bank is going to come. The bank is going to take your house. And then they and then they force you to sell your house. Like that's that's what a lien is. The bank can do that because they have a lien on your property. There are other types of liens. Um, that's like the primary one. The next type of lien, they have something called a mechanical lien. That's something like if a contractor came to your house and they did work on your house and anything like that and everything like that, and you never paid them the contractor can go and put a lien on your house. So now they can't act right away. They can't go and say, oh, you owe me $20,000. I want my money. I'm taking it. No, they have to go to court. And then if the court approves it, the court will either force you to sell your house. Well, that's what usually will happen. The court will force you to sell your house. You'll have to pay your mortgage and then you'll have to pay the, um, you'll have to pay the, the contracting company for the mechanical lien. And then, yeah. And then you would get whatever difference is left over from whatever equity that you had. If it ever happens that you don't have enough, then you're still liable to. So like, for example, let's say your house is worth 700,000 because that's what we've been working with. And your mortgage is 680 and you owe them 20,000. After closing costs and everything, you'll actually be at a negative because closing costs typically like 2% of the purchase price. And then if they go and they 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 go and try to foreclose on your property you'll end up losing money and you'll still owe the contractors whatever money they didn't get if that makes sense let me know let me know if i because sometimes i talk in circles let me know if i don't make sense you can cut that no, it's making out. sense yeah. though it's making sense though all right yeah makes but sense. pretty much just to say it a little bit smoother if if a contractor puts a lien on your property, they have to go to court, get get it approved from the court, and the court can force you to sell your property. And then if you don't, if you still don't have enough to money to pay the contractor, you're still liable to pay them. So they'll go and they'll put what's called the levy. They can start garnishing your paychecks, start taking money directly from your bank account until they're paid back. Oh wow! Yeah, which is it's pretty sick. And then the, the third type of lien, I think this is what you were talking about. They have something called tax liens. So this is I what think, happens. Yes, when, that's, yeah, yeah, this is what this is the type of lien investing. Um, tax liens is, is a beast of its own. Like I, I'll be straight up. I haven't done it. I've studied it and I've looked into it. I haven't personally done any tax liens. 
But the way that that one works is uh, a property owner stops paying their property taxes. And that's when the government can come in and the government can seize your property if, if, it, if it has a tax lien and then it can force the property into an auction. So now this is it's a great opportunity because let's say somebody um, let's say somebody has ten thousand dollars in taxes that they owe the government. What you can do as a tax lien investor, you can go and bid on it, and if you can get the property for like ten thousand, fifteen thousand, whatever, you can own that property for like ten thousand, fifteen thousand, just because you were able to you paid the taxes on it, and and that's your property for like ten thousand, fifteen thousand. But now you get every other lien that comes with it. That's the cons of doing tax lien investing. So every con, every 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 mortgage on it, any like thing, you're liable for it now. So sometimes I know what a lot of people do. I actually did meet um ah, I can't remember his name. It was at a real estate summit. Um, but he was a tax lien investor. So what he used to do, he used to like scour the internet for hours and stuff like that, looking. He would find a property, buy it for ten thousand, and then right away sell it for fifteen thousand and make like a little five or twenty thousand, make like a ten thousand dollar profit. He never went to see the property, never fixed it up, anything like that. But because he bought it for so low, some other investor is willing to take the risk that, you know, take the risk that there may be other liens on the property and everything. So he'll just sell the contract to them. So that it was it was crazy. But liens is hard because it varies state by state. So if you wanted to get into tax lien investing, you'd literally just have to study that state. Don't even worry about jumping around the country like you are, you would with other ones. Stay in that particular state because every state does it differently. Like, yeah, clumps of the South, they may do it similarly, but like I can give you an example. New York is nothing like that. New York, their taxing procedure is like it's it's crazy. It's it's a lot. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Um oh you guys had mentioned that about getting into real estate without, you know, without having any money, right? Yeah. Like, how would you do it if you think? I mean, they do have another way that's called wholesaling. Have you guys ever heard of wholesaling real estate? Yeah, I've I've heard briefly. Yeah, briefly. Yeah, I I know much about it. Okay, what do y'all know about it, of wholesaling? I feel like that's the thing a lot of people, like, at least uh, real estate influencers, I would say, they they, that's the first thing they design their content around is wholesaling. And they all, like... If you see infomercials on um, YouTube, like before your your video plays advertisements, all these people saying how much money they made because it's so easy, just getting a contract. But I feel like they're making it sound simpler than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, don't listen to those people because wholesaling is like one of the hardest things. But it it's one of those things that give you like a crazy amount of opportunity to make money. But it's a grind, like it's a real grind. So like with wholesaling, you don't need to be licensed. You don't need to do anything. You just need to know your stuff. Um, you would go, I always suggest finding an investor first. You would link up with an investor, find out what they're looking for, right? So let's say you know an investor, he's looking only for two families for around 700,000 and below with uh, with uh, with the equity that they know that they'll, with the house being worth like 750. You know, so they're looking for a $50,000 profit at, at the minimum with all their deals. What the wholesaler will do is the wholesaler will go and find a two family that matches their description that's worth 750. 
but they'll get it under contract for 700. So now they have a contract to buy the property for $700,000. They'll go after they they get that contract to buy it. They'll go back to the investor, say, I have, I found this property. Um, I got it under contract for 700. If you give me an extra 10,000, it's yours. So now the, the investor will go and buy that property for 710. And then the wholesaler gets to keep that $10,000 difference from the from the contract that he got to when the investor actually buys the property. So that's really how wholesaling works. Um, it's, it's just, it's thing. It's, it's a lot. Like you need to know how to be able to calculate, like you need to know how to basically run your own deals as if you were a fix and flip investor, you need to know how, you know, how to find the after repair value, the ARV of the property, know with your eyes, you know, how much it would cost to fix up the property. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of homework. You're doing a lot of studying and it's not just something that you could just get up and do, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it is, it is good. It is, it is good to do if you were just getting started. Cause that's how a lot of investors actually start. They start with wholesaling me. I got lucky. I met an investor early on when I started, um, my started as an agent and the investor actually used to bring me out with him to go look at properties and you know how to assess properties and everything so I got really lucky with that but you know you my best bet before you even start wholesaling or anything find an investor find a mentor learn what you can from them do your research online um you know just figure out the type of investing that works for you figure out you know, just know what it is that you want to do before you actually do it. Have a plan. Don't just go and do it, basically. Because I bet that sounds like a lengthy process. Because I know you're saying the first thing you do is just to find an investor, but very yeah, it's it's video. that's what I'm saying. It's really not easy, and it's not as easy as these people are making it seem. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, if you know, it's not that crazy. You finding a property with a decent amount of equity in it that has a good enough after repair value that the that the investor would be interested in. But it's not that easy to go and find that. And then usually you're like door knocking or, oh, perfect. Have you guys ever seen those yellow signs that's like, we buy houses all cash and stuff? Yes. yes. Those are usually, yeah. those are usually wholesalers. Oh, wow. those are wholesaling signs. Okay. Those are, those are investor signs. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll go, they'll assess the property they'll lowball it. So if the house is worth 500,000, they'll probably offer like 400 or 450. And then they'll go and they'll flip it. And they'll go and flip the contract. Not flip the house, they'll flip the contract to an investor that's going to actually come in and do the work. Those are usually wholesalers. Sometimes they're investors. Sometimes they're investors straight, like directly. But a lot of the times, seven out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times, it's wholesalers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you as an investor, you want to, you know, that those are people that you want under you. You want wholesalers when you become a big enough investor, only because they're finding your deals for you. You get to sit back. You could be in, you know, you could be in on the beach or in DR or something <laughs> and, and just kicking, kicking back. And they're sending you deals to your phone that they have mapped out for you and everything, telling you how much the repairs will cost and then seeing how much it'll, it'll be worth, how much equity you'll have in the property after. So it's it is good to have wholesalers. It is good to know about it, to know what they do. But it's definitely like you said, a, a grind. It's not. It's a grind. It's not easy at all. 
Mm-hmm. Like I knew a wholesaler, like he was literally outside just driving around, looking at houses, looking at old houses or abandoned houses, knocking on doors every day, six, not every day, six days a week. This is what he told me. He was driving around six days a week from 9 a.m. to around seven o'clock, just driving, walking around neighborhoods and stuff, looking for old properties because he was a wholesaler. And he was like doing that. He made like around $120,000 a year. So 12 deals, that's around, that's roughly 12 deals a year, sometimes Four. more. Yeah, that's roughly 12 deals a year doing it. One deal a month. But that's all he did. So it's like, you can go looking for a wholesale deal, knocking on doors and everything. And it's like one out of every hundred doors you knock on, you probably, you can possibly find a deal. Wow. You know, roughly. Yeah, so it's a lot of work. It's not that easy. And yeah, it's online now and everything, but it's, you know, you can email people or just send stuff in the mail and all that stuff, but it's a, it's not easy at all. And you really need to know your real estate stuff. You really need to be on top of it. Now, I just want to ask you, Paul, like, how, like, when you start out, like, how'd you get, like, your knowledge? I feel like you know a lot on real estate. Like, how'd you get, like, all your knowledge and stuff like that? Like, usually it was mostly, like, experience, trial and error. Was it kind of oh. like you watch videos? You know, YouTube's like, it's like a fake thing now, like, real estate and intro, stuff like that. What did you do, basically? So me, actually, it's a funny story for me. I actually got into real estate when I was 16. And it was it's in the most random place that I got into real estate. It was in summer school, chemistry summer school when I was 16, my junior year of high school. And um, my teacher that was in the class, he kind of did an unorthodox type of summer school teaching. So we didn't go over the chemistry and everything. Like he went and he went around the room and he made everybody say something that he was interested in. And him himself, he was an investor. So he said he's interested in real estate. So after school, I used to talk to him, pick his brain and everything. And that's really when I started getting into it. It was kind of on pause for a while. And then when I got into college, like around my second sophomore year, sophomore, junior year of college, that's when I got back into it. I started watching videos on YouTube, um, reading books. Uh, There's there's like a bunch of there's a bunch of resources out there, like just just doing it. Just, you know, just just trying to read and find out everything I know. I used to go to seminars. I used to, you know, anybody that I know that did real estate, that even if you just owned a house and that was it, because technically when you own a house, it's a real estate investment or it could be a real estate liability, depending on how you keep it and take care of it. But um, anybody that owned a house, I would ask them about it. I would ask them about the process, how they bought it. And then finally, after I graduated college, I was working at the bank. I was working at TD Bank. I was a teller. And um, I used to see the agents, the real estate agents that came in all the time cashing their checks. They would come in cashing their like $10,000 checks, $15,000 checks every like two, three weeks, a month, every month. And yeah, that's really how I got into it. I saw that I saw the money they were making and I wanted a part of it because there, there is the opportunity is there. I'll, I'll say with real estate compared to like stocks or compared to say like Forex or anything like that. I feel like real estate has the opportunity to to really to really propel you to the next level. Not to say that those other things can't, but it's really I feel like those things are a lot more chance whereas like real estate you actually have a little bit more control of the deals and everything. Like mm-hmm. if you do your homework and you know what you're doing and you're figuring stuff out, you can make a lot more consistent income doing real estate cuz one deal that's like 10 grand 
especially as an agent, agent, just being a real estate agent, every deal is at least like around six to 10 grand. If you're in New York, other places, it's a lot lower. If you're in New York, you know, you'll, you make decent money. If you make one deal a year, I mean, one deal every month, you're looking at $10,000 a month. That's $120,000 a year as an agent. Well, speaking of that monthly income, how much you could be making? Like, I think right now, I know the housing market is just, I guess, in a bubble. Who knows when it's going to pop? But I know houses are being purchased at a crazy rate right now. Or would you say it's the opposite? So uh, it's funny that you said it's in a bubble. <laughs> Thing is, with the real estate market, it doesn't matter who it is, who you're talking to, no matter how much experience they have, nobody knows for a fact what the real estate market is going to do. Nobody knows if it's going to continue going up. Nobody knows if it's going to crash. Time so like, no, huh? It's, <laughs> it's, it, well, those is a little bit, you know, those is different because those, those started out as a joke. <laughs> That's why <laughs> Joe was a true, true, true. And people, people was saying they started, you know, like nobody knew that knew for a fact that Doge would be doing this. And if you were lucky enough to buy Doge, because a lot of people were just like, ah, it's just two cents. Screw it. I'll put in a hundred dollars. You know, people, a lot of people came up off Doge <laughs> without knowing anything. Um, whereas like, you know, with real estate is really not like that. You can't just go and just say, screw it. And then just try anything without doing the numbers, running the numbers, knowing what you're doing. But as far as the housing market, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows if it's going to go up. Nobody can, like, really foresee it. Yeah, some people will be right. It's like 50-50. Half of the people are saying it's going to stay the same. Another half of the people are, gonna say, are saying it's crash, it's going to crash. So, yeah, some people will be right. Some people will be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, like, really, in my opinion, what I think the housing market is going to do, I think it's actually, for the most part, going to stay pretty much the same. I don't think that there's going to be like a little dip, like around the winter time, but I don't think it's going to have like a major crash. I think property values aren't going to drop more than 20,000 tops. Mm-hmm. But this is just, this just my opinion. Cause after 2008, the housing market crash, you know, yeah. it, it, they, they kind of took precautions to make it harder for the market to crash again, the way that it did. So I really don't think it's going to crash the same way. So I'm, I guess I misspoke when I said bubble. I feel like the housing market right now is on a, a high, I guess, because I see more people buying houses than normal around this time. Well, it's, well, that's because of the pandemic. So with the pandemic, what ended up happening, because people had stopped buying houses for the for like those months that we were on shutdown, mm-hmm. the mortgage rates went super low. So that's why, that's why like the mortgage rates, cause so before that mortgage rates were around 2.8 and that was considered low, but like in September, October, it went down to like 2.25, 2.2. Yeah. So now everybody's like trying to buy a house now cause the mortgage rates are so low. Mm-hmm. And what, what ended up happening is that there were more buyers in the market than there were sellers, than there were houses being sold. So now, now it became like a bidding war. Who's willing to put up more money? Who has the higher pre-approval? So a house that was typically like six hundred thousand would have sold for like six twenty. Oh wow! Yeah, because it it becomes a bidding war. Yeah. Huh? That's a great position to be in if you're a seller. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Because typically, like, I'm telling you, like, even my experience, their houses weren't lasting more than a week on the market. Like, they were going so fast. That's why everybody's like, oh, it's going to pop. It'll be a bubble. But no, I really think that if anything, if there is a dip, it's going to go back to what it was last year before the pandemic. But it's not going to be like a crazy dip, crazy thing the way that people are expecting to. Again, it's my opinion. I could be right. I could be wrong. (laughs) It's 50-50. It's in the middle. But this is just just from me looking at how it's been going. I think, you know, I think everything's going to be fine. Well, do you think like those the bills are in effect like the freeze on rent and the freeze on um, mortgages i mean not a mortgage a freeze on um, evictions and foreclosures you think it'll have any major effect on the market or not not on the housing market but in major cities i think it's gonna have a, a much harder it's gonna hit major cities a lot harder like new york um chicago like those huge cities only because we have so many people that rent instead of own their properties <laughs> Um, a lot of people are back on their rent. There's a lot of people I know that hasn't, that hasn't paid rent since February <laughs> of last year. So they, you know, yeah, there were a couple of rental assistance programs and everything, but I think a lot of landlords are just fed up with their tenants. So there's, there's going to be major evictions, but because everybody's going to be getting evicted, everybody's going to be looking for an apartment at the same time. Oh yeah, true. Yeah. So I think it's going to stabilize itself out. So they'll, Right now, rent rent prices are dropping because of that. Because you know, there's there's tenants that hasn't paid hasn't paid their rent since February, and then when January of 2021 came, they were just like, you know what, I'm out, and they just up and left. <laughs> so now landlords are like desperate to try to get good tenants in and everything like that. A good tenant is really hard to find right now. So it's not, it's not like the housing market decline. It's kind of like it kind of shifted its focus in a way. Yeah, it's like it shook a little bit. You know, it's like somebody just came and shook it. That's it. it I don't think that's like I said, again, disclaimer, my opinion. I don't think it's it's really going to be as crazy as people say. Like there's people saying that housing markets, the houses are going to drop like in value, like 100,000. I don't think that's happening. Like twenty thousand tops if it does drop, and then that if it drops by that much, it's putting us back around where we were last year. <laughs> we're breaking even basically. Just correct itself, basically. Yeah, exactly. But that's where everything like if you're into stocks, yeah. everything, everything always corrects. Whenever there's a major drop, unless of course, unless the company isn't stable, like you know, it's messed up like GameStop. But right. unless the you know unless there's not something like that, if there's a crazy rise, oh yeah, we actually we saw it with GameStop. There was a crazy rise, but it dropped right back down. Yeah, you know, and things. So it's, it's everything always stabilizes. So you either got to catch it on the way up or catch it on the way down. Whereas with real estate, it's kind of just you kind of know what it's going to be because it's a long term investment. If you're dealing with right. rental properties, you're looking and you're just getting a mortgage, you're looking at 30 years unless you go and sell it after a while. But typically mortgages are 30 years. Yeah. But going back to what you said, but like kind of transition and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. after the pandemic, like what do you think the main focus or like the main uh, money flow for the housing market will be? Will it be like rent, renting? everybody like i said that's gonna depend on the investors that depends on their preference 
I think a lot more people may be getting into flipping only because, you know, they had seen what people had to deal with the past year of not getting any rents from the tenants. So I think a lot of the rental rental investors that, you know, that might have been hurt from the pandemic, I think a lot of them are going to switch into flipping houses. But, you know, it's thing because that because when they do that, what's going to end up happening, there's going to be a market for the rentals again. They're going to either switch back to rentals and things. So everything is going to stay the same. <laughs> yeah, that's my prediction. I don't think there's going to be any huge major shift. I don't think there's going to be another crash like 2008, you know, as far as real estate. You know, I'm expecting the stock market and stuff to crash, but I'm not an expert in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Guys, I think that's gonna be a good place to cut. Do anybody have any more questions? That's it for I me. guess I feel like everything got answered. I, I guess like I yeah, I was about to say I guess like just a little found tip because I ain't gonna lie, I've been back on TikTok, yeah, it's my fault. But yeah, I've been back on TikTok, and um, it was like a trick I seen uh someone talking about like like you know like having your I think I talked to y'all about it having like a duplex and like having the rent of the other family um cover mm -hmm. your own stuff like that so like, like kind of stuff like that like you have any like quick tips to get to the viewers that you yeah. know what you learn about along your way that can help people either when they're starting out or they want to change property any, any kind of tricks or tips so that's called house hacking that that is a really good way if you're willing to deal with rent with um with um renters and you're willing to live in your property i think that's a very good way to get into real estate um, so pretty much how that works is you buy a property, you buy a multifamily, whether it be three, three family or four family or two family, and then you rent out the other side and that other side covers the rent, the mortgage for the whole building. So essentially you're living rent free. If you have a two family, um, your mortgage is a thousand dollars a month and you rent out the other side for a thousand dollars. You don't have, you don't have to worry about paying a mortgage. You don't have to worry about paying rent. <laughs> Like, I think that's the really the best of both worlds. You might not be getting any crazy cash flow, but just off the strength of you not having to pay every month, it's, 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 I think it's dope. And then, it, you know, you can always, I always suggest getting more. If you can find a four family, do that, because that gives you the opportunity for cash flow versus a two family. Yeah, so that it's called house hacking. You guys should definitely look into that. Cause that could probably be the, that that's one of the easiest ways to get into real estate. If you're willing to deal with the headaches and of having, of living with your tenants and letting them know you're the landlord. And, you know, there's always cons. There's always something, there's always something. Just got to find the loophole. Yeah. You know, you just, you gotta, it's not even find the loophole. It's just figure out what works for you. Everybody's mm -hmm. different. Some people will be willing to do that. Some people will go, like in not in New York, but um, I can give you like Florida. Some people will buy a house, live out of the garage, and then rent out the house. Oh wow! You know, yeah, that's commitment right there. <laughs> nah, so that's it's what I'm rare. saying. It, it depends. Yeah, but those people, they're they're golden. Like their mortgage is paid, and they, you know, they're probably getting some cash flow on top. So once that house is paid off, when they have a tenant or whatever for long enough, if they when they get enough tenants, they're good. And then they don't have no commitment to stay there. You know, they can just go up and leave and know every month that that house is being paid for. True. And then you're building wealth by doing that because you're every every month you're building up equity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
you know it, it varies person to person situations are always different you just need to figure out what you're willing to do how hard you're willing to work and then go from there but i will say this i don't think unless you're unless you have a decent amount of cash on hand i don't think real estate is a passive investing investing vehicle like stock market you could just put your money in the stocks and leave it and then forget about it and check it every six months you can't really do that with real estate until you reach a certain point like when you start you definitely it's really hands-on if you if you wanted to start investing Sounds like there's a lot to learn too, just just off of purchasing. And then a lot, exactly. Process. A lot to learn, you know, thing. Like it's it's a lot of studying, a lot of things. It's not the easiest thing to get into, but they say 90% of millionaires in America made their wealth off of real estate. Mm. The rest of them were businesses. The last 10% were businesses, but 90% of people. 90% of the millionaires in America made their wealth off of real estate. Well, you know what they say about high risk, high reward, so... Exactly. Sense. I see it. And, and but Mark, your, but your education is the thing that limits that, that risk. The more you know, the less risk that you have. Facts, that's why. So the biggest thing, that's what I'm saying. That's why I like it, because it literally falls on me. It falls on my shoulder. It's not up to somebody else. Right. Like, it's not like owning a business, which owning a business, I think, is, you know, the greatest thing that anybody could do. But it's not like owning a business where you have to depend on people to come and buy your product. Or, you know, use your service or anything. Real estate, literally, you just run the numbers. Somebody's always going to need somewhere to live. <laughs> you know, you just need to know what you're doing. And then you learn what you're doing by reading um you know listening to podcasts <laughs> you know stuff like that and experience starting small and working your way up absolutely man mm -hmm. you gotta start somewhere yeah so hey man i think if that's everybody's questions i guess that would be a good place to end it what do you guys think i agree i don't have anything else to add or ask Feel like Paul, you went in depth with every question, so I appreciate that. Like, I do. I was even expecting that. You said you weren't expecting that. Yeah, it was a love. I mean, thing, bro. I'm passionate about that about this stuff, man. I can tell because you you really like yeah. You went in depth with a lot, and you like even like the the real estate investment trust and the lean property. I know the hell that was going to this, but. Yeah, you definitely broke it down. So I appreciate that. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I know the view. Yeah. I know the viewers appreciate that too, because you know, you broke it down, stuff like that, gave numbers, all that type of yeah. stuff. So really dope. Oh, it's thing. It's thing. I mean, if anybody ever has any questions, ever needs to get in, in touch with me with anything, y'all can reach me on Instagram at Maestro M A E S T R O four K. You know, this music producer stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'll be music producing, but that's probably like the best way. You guys can text me. My number is 347-446-7544. If you know anybody that's interested in looking to buy or sell a house also, that's really what I do. That's my bread and butter. That's my bread and butter. Yeah. All right, bro. All right, guys. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, wait, oh, yo. Oh, we gotta do. We gotta do the thing. We gotta do. We gotta. 
we got like an ending sequence. Right. Yeah, we, you know, try to. Every time, we have to, every time we have a guest, we always mess it up because it's online. We're gonna try. We're gonna try this time again. Hey, you're it. supposed to warn people. You can't just have ending sequence, opening sequences. Nah, like it no, it's, no, it's, not, it's, it's not even hard. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the fact that the timing be off every time. I don't know what it is, but look, we gonna we gonna get it right. We gonna get it right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I got you. I got so you. So look, after after someone says, "Hey, bro, I've been thinking lately." And then everyone's gonna be like, "What are you aiming to?" All right, that's, that, that's what it is. All right, I got you. Yeah, on kick us off. Yeah, right. Hold on, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do a little wrapping up. So thank you, Paul, right, for being our guest on the this episode for real estate. I think it was really insightful. Uh, I think everybody will, will like take something home from this conversation. Uh, our listeners and uh, the guests, and I mean, our participants included, whoever is working on that, cut it. <laughs> and uh, I've been thinking lately, bro. What are you? you bro, you, see, you messed it up, messed it up, though. It's not what you said, bro. <laughs> you had it. You had it. You had it. You switched it around, bro. You had it. Chris, your turn. Try it. Try it. Try it right now. Fellas, listen. We had a great conversation. Skip the chit chat. We already know what it is. Paul, thank you. But you know, even though I wonder. Ooh. <laughs> Yo, I give up. I give up. We can't do this online no more. We can't do it. Everybody have a great night. Everybody yeah, have a great night. night. Yeah, yeah, goodbye. Right. Goodbye. Everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Podcast, man. See you social media. Everybody Tuesday, Monday, night, Tuesday, eight a.m. You know where we at? I'm gonna catch up, boys. Hi, Joe. All right. I would have every time. Say.